and the children can go to children's church. I'm your guest speaker today. Okay. Would you mind if I tell you a story? To start with, this is going to be different, okay? I'm going to tell you a vacation type of story. I do this because I substitute teach in school, okay? And oftentimes I give the kids a story. I think, is that coming up? Okay. About eight years ago, Pam and I have had some wonderful vacations. About eight years ago, we went to Yellowstone Park in the winter. How many have ever been to Yellowstone? Okay. Okay. Well, we went in the winter. As a matter of fact, it was in January, about January 10th, about eight years ago. It happens we have a friend that lives in Wyoming, and her name is Helen. And we made friends with Helen way back in Vermont about 35 years ago, wasn't it, Pam? And she said, why didn't you guys come on out and go on vacation? So we did. And it was, it was kind of cool out there. It happens. Is everyone with me now? Okay. It happens that we picked up Helen and we went to Jackson Hole. Anyone ever been in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Okay. Neat place, isn't it? Well, in the winter, it's a little different. Uh, we... Uh, found out they had an elk refuge there. And an elk refuge is a place where they feed the elk when they come down. They've, they walk down from Yellowstone about 25 miles down this place, and they feed. And we caught a bus, I think it was from our motel, over to the elk refuge, and from there, we got into this horse-drawn sleigh, about 20 of us. And we went right out among the elk. Is Stan here? Stan will like this one. Okay. It happens it was about 75 to 100 elk with racks of horns like this. Huge, huge animals. And my first thought was this, and me without my gun. That's why I thought, Sam. The following day, we decided to go up into Yellowstone and we caught a 16-passenger van from our motel and we only could go halfway up because... The rest of the road was not plowed any further going up to Old Faithful. And so halfway up to Yellowstone, we transferred over in this parking lot to a seven-passenger snow coach, it's called. And a snow coach has lags on the front and skis on the back. I'm telling you this for a reason, by the way, not, I mean, a little bit of a reason. It happens that we, we finally get up to Old Faithful, and the buffalo had icicles hanging from their chin almost way down to the ground. There's a reason. We found out it was 30 below zero. It was cold that morning. Oh, man, it was cold. And it happens that we got into this building and had our breakfast, and they said, folks, in five minutes, Old Faithful's going off, so you might want to bundle up, get on your coats and scarves and gloves. And So we went out, and if you know anything about Old Faithful, it squirts up about 300 yards way into the air. Well, it's almost like God said, watch this one. That thing squirted way up in the air, and it was so cold, there were ice crystals coming down like this with little rainbows in them all around the edge. You talk about beautiful. It's kind of like 
God was saying, watch this. Simply amazing. Isn't God good? Oh, God is good. Now I'm going to tell you a story from the Bible. It starts in about Exodus in chapter 1. It starts with the people of Israel being in bondage for 400 years. And they were in bondage and they had, they were, they had taskmasters and they were enslaved to the people of Egypt. And they kept crying out to the Lord and said, Lord, Lord, have mercy on us. We need someone to get us out of this bondage. And Moses was on the backside of the desert. And Moses started, uh, God started speaking to Moses. It first started, Moses was grazing his sheep near Mount Horeb. And it happens, there was a burning bush. And we probably all know the story about the burning bush. But this is a wonderful, wonderful thing that happened in Moses' life and also for the people of Israel. God started speaking. Moses looks over to the left and sees a bush burning. It doesn't burn up. And he goes over to see what it's about. And God started speaking his name. Moses. Moses. And Moses says, hey, I think that's me. It certainly was him. And the first thing that God said was this. Moses, take off your sandals, for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. In the presence of God, the ground is holy. See? And then God started speaking to Moses. And said, Moses, I have heard the cries of my people Israel, and I'm going to send you. And Moses said, wait a minute, Lord, I think you've got the wrong guy. And the Lord said, no, I don't. No, I've got the right guy, all right. Moses said, wait a minute. No, I, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And especially, I have a hard time speaking in front of people. Moses, what? what? God, what can I do? Mo God said, Moses, I'm sick of your excuses, but here comes your brother Aaron. He'll be your mouthpiece, but go to the people of Israel. Moses' question was this to God. Who shall I say has sent me when the people of Israel ask who sent me? And God said, tell them I am that I am. And God didn't say, tell them that I am that I was or am that I'm going to be, but I am that I am because God is a very present God. He wants to be present in every one of our lives now. Have you ever said sometimes, Lord, I need you right now? Well, we serve a God that's very present right now. Moses was sent to Pharaoh. Before he left, Moses said, God, give me a sign. What can I show Pharaoh if I'm going to be there? God says, see that staff in your hand? Throw it down. It turned into a snake, and Moses was going to run for his life. 
He didn't like snakes. Probably had something to do with back in the Garden of Eden. See, when the serpent deceived um, Adam and Eve. Then he, the serpent crawled on its belly. It said, "My understanding is is." The great possibility that the serpents had legs before that. Can you imagine that? Snakes with legs. Biologists claim they even have hip bones today. Isn't that amazing? Hey. There was Moses, ready to go. And of course, the people asked him, the Israelites asked him, who sent you if you've, sent, if you've come to us? And he said, I am that I am has sent me. And God said, now, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him this, let my people go. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and said, Fair Mr. Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who do you think you are? I come in the name of the one that says I am that I am. Well, prove to me that you're from him. And Moses throws down his staff. And it turns into a serpent. So Pharaoh gets his magicians to come along, and guess what? They throw down their staff, and they can do the same thing. But then there's ten plagues that happen, the likes that Egypt had ne never seen before. Let me name a few of them. The water turns to blood. Frogs, lice, gnats, hail. All sorts of things. And, and the Bible says this, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and I think even Pharaoh, the more that happened, Pharaoh hardened his heart toward God, toward what God was wanting to do. And then the tenth plague was the last one of all, the worst one. It was the death angel. God came to Moses and said, tell the people of Israel to make some bread without yeast because they're going to go out of here real quick and tell them to slaughter a lamb and bleed that lamb out and put the blood over the doorpost because when the death angel comes, they'll be passed over. And thus the beginning of the Passover. Even uh, the Passover is even celebrated today. It happens. The death angel came and there was weeping and great bitterness in the land of Egypt because, hey, the Israelites had the blood over their doorpost. But all Egypt, the oldest male figure in the family died. And so every household, almost every household, had death in it. And even in Pharaoh's home, there was death. Pharaoh called for Moses and said, Moses, you take your people and you get out of here. I don't want to see your face again. And scripture even tells us that the people of Israel even plundered those of Egypt. They took their silver and gold. They just gave it up. They were in such grief because of death in almost every home. Here were the people of Israel, about a million and a half of them, marching out of Egypt. They come to the, the, come to the brink of the Red Sea, and they look back and see, hey, Pharaoh's army's back there. About a day and a half later, Pharaoh said, what have I done? 
What have I done? I've let these people go, and there are slave laborers. What have I done? And he sent his army after them. And here were the people of Israel. They cried out to Moses, Moses, what are we going to do? (coughs) Excuse me. At the brink of the Red Sea. And Moses cried out to God, God, what are we going to do? God said, excuse me. (coughs) God said, Moses, that staff you have in your hand, raise it. As he raised the staff, a wind came from the south and the waters stood right up. They crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. A great miracle of God. My friends, that was nothing short of a miracle. There was Pharaoh's army right behind them ready to catch them. And as soon as the last person of Israel took their feet out of the water, Moses lowered the staff and all Pharaoh's army drowned. God has a way, doesn't he, of keeping us protected? He has a way of doing that. But then the march began. That was just the beginning, friends. Just the beginning. Here they were for about 40 days to go to the promised land. God showed himself to them. God gave them manna. And I looked up the word manna one time. The original Hebrew means, what is it? Manna means, what is it? That wafer that was on the ground, God fed them for that time. Can you imagine having a steady diet of manna? They cooked it in a lot of different ways. They baked it, they boiled it, they fried it, they did everything they could to make it taste good. Forty-day trip to the brink of the promised land. And God said, Moses... Send out 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Rain. Each of the 12 tribes of Israel, send them out to spy out the land. Come back with a report. What I need to know is this. How how rich is the land and how fertile is it so that these people can take care of themselves. The richness and fertileness of the land was important to God. They went and spied out the land. They were gone for 40 days and came back. And here was the reports. Ten reports came back with, the land flows with milk and honey, meaning it is a good land. Not only that, it's fertile. We brought some grapes with us, a big bundle of grapes. Look at this. But then they started on with something else. But the walls are thick. And the people are huge. And I don't think we can do this. (laughs) They couldn't on their own. But with God, they could have. 
10 different reports that were the same. And then there was Caleb and Joshua that came with reports. The land flows with milk and honey. The soil is rich. And it's true the walls are thick. It's true that the people are big. But we serve a God that back there, man, when we were at the Red Sea, remember what he did? Remember how God provided for us all this time on the way? God will give us victory. <coughs> could God have given them victory then? Of course he could. Can God give us victory today? Of course he can. The reports of the ten spies got the people discouraged and they lost faith. It's a terrible thing to happen, isn't it? Excuse me. By the way, we pray for rain and rain and finally we get it, huh? Here we are. God becomes very angry, very angry with the people of Israel because of their faithlessness. And God says, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all. And Moses says, God, you can't do that. No way can you do that. You can't bring these people out of Egypt, bring them out here just to kill them. What will the nations of the earth say? They'll say that the God of Israel is not just. He's unfair. No, God, let me stand in. Kill me, not the people. Scripture says that God relented, but he went to plan B. Could the people of Israel save themselves 40 years of wandering? You bet they could have. Can we save ourselves a long time in wandering simply by trusting God? You bet we could. Forty years of wandering around, I would say aimlessly in the wilderness, but God had a cloud by day and had a pillar of fire by night to take them through the desert. But some bad things happened. We mentioned this morning even about serpents. I think it was in Sunday school about snakes. Can you imagine? Snakes came into the camp and people were bitten and poisonous snakes and they died. What a tragic thing. What was God doing? He was weeding out the faithless. And Moses said, God, what can we do? These people are dying. And God said, Moses, you build a brass serpent, put it up on a pole, and we people look on that, they will live. Then we go to John chapter 3 and about verse 14, and it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Who lifts up the Son of Man? Oh, he was lifted up on a cross. But we can lift him up in our lives, see? So that people can see him. The people even said to God, we are sick of manna. We want meat. And God sent them quail, the likes of, I mean quail that deep from the ground 
all through, almost quail up their nostrils. They complained, and they complained, and they didn't ever have the right thing to eat, and nothing was ever right. You know, sometimes we can get that way. Sometimes we get kind of whiny. It's important for us to understand that God is still in control. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness because of unbelief. Isn't that a sad scenario? It's sad. Near the end of those 40 years is where we're going to look at Scripture today. Can we get up our baby or no? That looks like my kids when they were young. Choose life. The people of Israel had chosen death because they chose not to believe. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, reading verses 11 through 21. 11 through 20, rather. Now what I command you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it or proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is ever near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord God, your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses said to the people, choose life. See, The first thing he was saying was this, your parents and you have a free will. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness, and your parents chose not to believe, and they died there because they chose not to believe. After God had shown his power to them, time and time again, they chose not to believe him, and they chose death.
Moses was challenging the people here near the end of his reign. Moses was saying, choose life. Don't make a mistake with this. Do it right and choose life. Way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they chose death. And God said, if you eat of that tree, you will certainly die. And they didn't die right off, but they were driven from the garden, and death came. Sounds morbid, doesn't it? Sounds, sounds bad. But God gives us an alternative, and I am so thankful for that. Choose life. I have an announcement to make, and this is not a political announcement, but it's a true announcement. God is pro-life. Okay? So if you're wondering, where does God stand as far as abortion is concerned and all that stuff? God is pro-life. Sometimes in the Old Testament, you look at it and you wonder, if that's the case, why were all these people killed off? Well, it had to do with getting sin out of the camp. It had to do with keeping people pure. God's choice is life. His intention down through the generations for mankind was that we have life. Adam and Eve blew it and sinned. And it's easy for us to say, it's their fault that I'm the way I am. Because they sinned, I inherited it. But we can do something about it, my friends. We have blown it also and sinned. God offers grace to us. He said, that's right, you've blown it. But I can give you a way to have life. And that is found in Romans in chapter 6 and verse 23, which says this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, we can continue in going our own way, or we can come and go God's way. It means a matter of repentance. It means a matter of changing our hearts. And thirdly today, decisions, decisions. Moses says, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this thing out. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says this, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. The answer is not up in heaven so that you have to take a rocket or a plane up there to find it. It is not across the ocean, just you have to take a boat ride across to get the answer back. He says, it's in your heart. The answer is not in heaven, not across the ocean. The answer is in your heart, and the answer and decision is this. Choose life. Let's say it together. Choose life. Along with life comes prosperity. Fourthly today, live life God's way and not your own. Lord, I'll do anything for you, but don't ask me to go to that neighbor 
and show them your love. I mean, I'll go to the jungles of the Amazon. I'll go to Africa. I'll go anywhere. But as far as my neighbor is concerned, I don't know if I can do that. Do you know the things that we tell God that we won't do are usually the things he wants us to do? Think about that. The things that we tell God we won't do are usually the things he wants us to do to stretch us. What we're telling God is this, I'll live life my way for you. Sounds good, but that's saying, Lord, I'm going to be like the rest of them there as long as I'll live for you that way. But that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for people that will come to him on his terms. Meaning, Lord, I yield my will. I yield my life to you. I want to be sold out for you. I'm totally yours. We need to decide to yield to him and to submit our lives to him. We can say, well, I won't make a decision then. Not making a decision is actually making a decision. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm not going to do it your way, but mine. Purpose in life equals God's way. As we come to the Lord with a yielded heart, He gives us joy and purpose. In life. Choose life and live. Jesus said this. I have come. And I think it's been mentioned this morning already too. I have come that they might have life. And that they might have life more abundantly. Choose Jesus. Choose doing it his way. You choose life. Listen to what Joshua said. He's the one that came after Moses in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers beyond, serve beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. In other words, I have chosen life. I have, I'm making a statement, I choose to serve God. Choose who you will serve. Come and serve the Lord on his terms and not on your terms. Come in faith believing, in faith believing, and choose life. This morning in, in Sunday school, there was a lot mentioned about the different gods of of all the, the, the churches in Revelation 
had to deal with and, and how even in Egypt, when the 10 plagues came, most of those, all those plagues were against the gods of Egypt, see? And how easy it is for us to worship the creation and not the creator. And God wants us to serve the creator. Choose life. Come in faith believing and choose life. It's been mentioned in the past, Lord, give me a passion for souls. But my friends, God wants us to have a passion for people. Sometimes we take and try to separate those two and we put souls here and people here. God wants us to have a passion for the people of Huron. See, God has not called us to do witnessing. He's called us to be witnesses. Does your life show that you've made a choice to follow after him? It should. There should be a difference. In other words, people should be able to see a difference in you. I challenge you today, choose life. Choose to live for him. Choose life his way and not your way. Choose life and prosperity. Would you please stand with me? Would you please stand with me? Maybe you're here and you might say, and maybe you wouldn't even say it, but you mean it. You know, I've tried to serve the Lord, but it's been on my terms. And I want to serve the Lord on his terms. Maybe you're here today and would say, I choose life. I choose life. If that's you today, if you choose life, I'd ask you to come line right up in the front here, and we're going to pray. Anyone? Anyone choose life today? That doesn't mean you haven't given your heart to the Lord in the past, but you would say, I choose life. I choose that I want to serve him with all of my heart. I choose life. Anyone else? Come right up here. Lord, Lord. 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 Yes, thank you. I guess I'd ask you if you maybe would just raise your hands as I pray. And you don't have to, but Lord, we are standing here in your presence, acknowledging that we choose life. Lord, I pray that you would impart your life into your people, that we could be walking epistles, walking testimonies of your love and of your life, Lord. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name 
that we would no longer live for you our way, but that we would live for you, Lord, your way. In Jesus' name, Lord, today we yield to you with our upraised hands and ask, Lord, that you would fill our lives full of your life because we choose life. Let's say it together. Choose life. Once again, choose life. Lord, we choose you. We choose life in Jesus' name. Quicken our hearts, Lord, that we could go from here and live in victory. Live life your way. Live life yielded to you in Jesus' name. We thank you in your precious name. Amen. These altars will be open to you. If you want prayer for any reason, we are here to pray for you. If you need to go, go quietly. God bless you. Remember this week, choose life. Choose life.